Hey, man. Do you know Bill? Wait. Do you mean Bill Ivy? No. Bill Sasquatch? Nope. Do you mean Bill Murray? I do. I love Bill Murray. Do you? You know how much I love Bill Murray? How much? I love Bill Murray so much that I've made you co-host a Bill Murray bingo night with me every single month. Against my will? Against your will. I, I go to your house under the precursor of taking you out to IHOP or to Steak and Shake. The last Wednesday of every month, I roofie you, bind and gag you, and drive you in the trunk of my friend's car so it's untraceable to the crying wolf in East Nashville, and then I make you co-host, against your will, a Bill Murray being Can I admit something to you? Yeah. I'm kind of into it. I know. I've always had a bit of a kidnapping fantasy, and you make it happen. <laughs> I'm glad that I can do that for you. You've seemed more into it than most of my victim friends. Um, and uh, But it's it's a super fun time for me. Uh, you're mostly drugged throughout throughout the course of it. But it seems to, everyone else seems to enjoy it. Yeah. You know what my favorite part of that is? The Bill Murray? The butt stuff. Oh, right. Well, yeah, but that's just like a standard Wednesday. Oh. This is, this is Bill Murray butt stuff Wednesday at the Crying Wolf the last Wednesday of every month. That's right. And you know what's even better? Bingo. Butt stuff. You are now listening to High Five the Podcast, a movie podcast for people who like other stuff too. Now let's join our hosts, Q and J, as they broadcast live from the writer's room. The show starts in one. I don't know. I what like was that the, song that you were just singing? I think it's a an old Jackson Five song. Make it good and tighten. Uh, nope. No. I don't think that is actually. You don't. I don't think that's a anything. I it think. might. It might not be. I think that's the original Golden Girls theme song. <laughs> Make it tight and good. Make it good and tighten. <laughs> I think. I think that's. I think that's what it is. Well, I really don't know. I just started kind of. I will say, up. if it's not, it should be. Yeah. It should have been for sure. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Make it good Make it and tighten, tighten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's something uh, real weird about that. Something, everything, <laughs> everything is real weird about that. You know, it just seems to go against nature. It does. You know what? I kind of see where you're going with this because it's, it's going to be a segue. At first, I thought we were going to segue somehow using Golden Girls, but I did not know how we were going to get it for this episode theme. No, and but I see where you're going. Yeah, because this episode is about man versus nature, or man versus wild, as we like to say, or man versus Golden Girls. Right. Top five movies: <laughs> man, man versus, versus Golden, Golden Girls. Girls. So we've got Throw Mama from the Train. Yep. We've got The Goonies. Yep. And that's pretty much it. High five. High five. Should we high five? High five. High five. High five. High five. High five, son. Woo. High five. Don't let me hang it. Travel down the road and back again. Make it good and tight and tight and good. That's the new High Five podcast theme song. <laughs> I hope so. We're just going to add some instrumentals behind it. The problem is, is that however dumb it is, you and everyone listening will be humming that the rest of the day and hate me because of it. Yeah, 100%. Just be like, make it good and tight and great. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And it's so simple. Yeah. It's just like three lyrics. Yeah. Make it good and tight and great. And yeah. You're make welcome, it, everybody. Make it good and tight and great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. That really, really it, that puts it over the edge. Puts a cap on it. It really does. Um, and which, again, segues us perfectly into our man versus wild episode theme. Um, these, This is a movie-centric episode, so we are counting down the top five best man versus wild or man versus nature themed films. Um, now when we discussed this originally, it was pretty nebulous and we didn't really put rules on each other, but I, as I am want to do, I put a lot of constrictions on myself for this list. As you normally do. Yeah. You like to constrict things. I am curious. How did you go about putting together the top five man versus wild? Like, how did you define that for yourself? Uh, so for me, I picked really, it was anything that was man versus a natural force of nature. So whether that be a creature, whether that be stranded in a situation that they have to survive, whether that be, but it it can't be something. Now I will say that there may be one or so on mine. That's a little far fetched maybe. Right. But for the most part, it's a natural thing, right? Like it's a natural objective. So it is man versus wild versus wilderness versus a creature of the wild. That is the, the pretty open constraint that I put on myself. Okay. So I also nixed, it couldn't be like anything sci-fi related. So it it couldn't be like, I wanted to put Jurassic park on there. Right. Couldn't put Jurassic park, even though dinosaurs technically have existed at some point. That's a sci-fi movie to me. So that's not really man versus nature. It's funny. I had that same debate. Did you? I had Jurassic park on my list before I whittled it down and nixed it for that exact same reason. It couldn't be otherworldly or non-natural to our current existence. Right. So Predator also off right, the list correct. for me because Because of that. technically it is kind of a man yeah. versus wild, but um, not, to me, yeah. not, it had to be natural. Right. It had to be a natural existing creature. And there's another reason, the same reason is why I also nixed the movie Melancholia. The oh, Lars okay. von Trier yeah, yeah. about like the other planet that's, yeah, that's going to collide in. into the earth. Because that, while it still felt like man versus a Nature. natural occurrence, right. they weren't really fighting against it. It was inevitable. Sure. And it was otherworldly, literally. Right. And so I actually struggled with melancholia. I wanted it on here real bad, but because of those rules that I put on myself, it had to be eliminated. I. I can totally get behind that. For me, I also eliminated anything that I would consider would fall into the category of disaster movie. Okay. So, like, 2012, Day After Tomorrow, those types of things. Like, an Independence Day, when that's not nature. But 2012 and Day After Tomorrow, I nixed those because if it's a worldwide catastrophe, I nixed it. I did the same thing. Because I kind of wanted to constrain it to a single person or group of people experiencing a singular event. Yes. As opposed to like, the entire globe is going to be destroyed by right. this. No, I, you and I, I yeah. think we're on the same brainwave. Because I also, yeah. immediately out of the gate, I was like, no 2012, no day after tomorrow. Yeah. Can't do it. I also eliminated the impossible. Um, okay. But That's a true story. Though. And I know that... Here's my reasoning behind it because we talked about it in the disaster movie. We did episode. talk about it during the And because movie. of that, 
I you was didn't like, include it. I've already labeled this as a disaster movie on one episode. Okay. So I have to keep con- continuity with our episodes here. Sure. And so I have to be true to my previous self. So that one wasn't on here. It would be fine for, I think, other people to put it on their list. But I may have a carryover. Really? Mm-hmm. And I can do that. And that's fine. It's, because it's, I feel like it can be both a disaster movie and a man versus nature. Right. I agree. Especially The Impossible is one of those that was right on that line. Because it's also not a global Small catastrophe. group of people, localized catastrophe, nature, human beings, survival. Surviving. But just since I had that on my disaster list, mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't include it here. I totally... Um, I, I get it. So, and all mine are... I think... Let me actually scan through the list. All mine are pretty much... Well, no, I was about to say all mine are one person versus something, but they're not. Some are, some are a group of people. But yeah, so that I tried to be pretty specific when I was doing Man vs. Wild um, because I wanted it to be... I wanted to constrain myself. As you said, I like constraints. And it made it a little bit... <laughs> oh, I know you do. And it made it a little bit easier to eliminate some that I was really on the fence about. Like Melancholia, like The Impossible. Because those are movies I've already talked about. So I wanted to be able to kind of list and rank and talk about other movies. Oh, yeah. Nope. I'm with you. Cool. So let's just fucking dive into it. I love it. I wish my first one was a water-based movie so I could so segue off the dive that. in. But, but it's um, not. I take it. Deep Water is not on my list. <laughs> Jay although it could does have not have Deep Water on his list. We're all sad. <laughs> or is that, that Dark Water? Open no, Water? Deep, open Water. That's it. Yeah. I don't have open water. Dark Water was that Jennifer Connelly That's right. ha- haunted black water movie. That is also not. And I uh, don't mean black water like the, the covert black ops water, people. Black water, Right. Make, Make it tighten. It. Right. <laughs> That's where I was going. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. I'll start with a Jay's list. Okay. Number five. Yes. 127 hours. Nice. By Danny Boyle. This one actually got nixed off of my list. Really? Why'd you? Oh, b- before I get into why I included it, why did you nix it? Um, I nixed it because um, this movie was super hard for me to watch. Knowing your sensibilities when it comes to gore, yeah. I can imagine. So, as much as I was like, oh man, I want this on there, I was just like, God, it, I will probably, I would actually, I'm not even going to say probably. I will never watch that right. movie again. Like then it kind of achieved its purpose though. Yeah. Like that is that is fodder for why for me it's on there. But is I it, can't say that I enjoyed the movie. It's true, but it it left a lasting impression on that me. That it did. And that to me is the mark of a good film. Like if you watch a movie and two days later you're like, what was that movie about? It's probably not a great movie. Or you were really high. Fair enough. Um, so for those who don't know, what is 127 Hours? 127 Hours is the James Franco vehicle where he portrays the real-life person, Aaron something. I can't remember the guy's last name, but uh-huh. Aaron something. He was uh, you know, just kind of a normal guy, mountain climber. Um, and he... Tri- Do you remember what state it's in? It's like I Arizona? S- yeah, I want to say Nevada. it was that. Or it might even be... Um, it was at the Grand Canyon? Maybe. I forget where, but he is out. He doesn't tell anybody where he's going. Right. He trips and falls down a ravine, and a boulder crushes his arm against the wall. No one's looking for him, and he just has to survive. Now, the crux of the film gets to the one scene that everybody knew was coming because the real-life story of this guy is that he lasted for five days and survived before... Realizing he wasn't going to be saved and using a Swiss army knife, he cuts off his own arm at the forearm 
so he can get to help. Yep. And he wrote, a, you know, a memoir about the event, uh, the videos, like even in the movie, James Franco makes those homemade videos. Yeah. Those exist. Right. Um, they haven't been publicly seen, but they exist. Um, and it's a movie just literally about that experience. 127 hours is like five days and four hours. It was the length of time he was gone. Right. And the scene that you couldn't get through is they do, they make it very clear that he is cutting off his arm and it is incredibly visceral. It's stomach churning. It is. Cause he, they, an interesting thing about this scene is that, they had planned it. They had all these different like arm apparatus or apparati for James Franco to use. They had like the internal muscles and sinewy for it. And they were going to do this grand elaborate shot. And then they did it one take 20 minute long straight take and they got it and they didn't do anything else. Amazing. And it's so it's, it's, stomach churning to your it to use your really term is. because it really doesn't allow you to get away from what's happening no. it's a good 15 or 20 minutes of him cutting off his arm in this movie and you have to watch it yeah and it's i mean honestly it's, hard, it's incredibly it's hard well to get done through and that's what i was saying like that part is hard yeah it's hard to watch but the thing about it though is that danny boyle is great at this sort of thing Oh, like, for sure. Danny Boyle is, is a fan favorite here on our show. Absolutely. But all of his movies have elements in them that are incredibly hard to watch to some degree. Like, I mean, Train Spotting has not only the drug use, but like all the stuff with the kids, which is just terrible. 28 Days Later is incredibly violent. Um, Sun- Sunshine, which you've talked about on the show before, you really like, but it gets weird and like really, really violent. And then Slumdog Millionaire, you have a kid jumping in poop. And diarrhea, and that's also really gross too. That's fun, so and delicious. <laughs> yeah, but so Danny Boyle has these elements in his films of taking things that are very, very hard to witness and making you witness them. Yeah. Now Danny Boyle is an interesting one for me because he sort of jumps around to all sorts of genres. Mm-hmm. Like he has sci-fi with Sunshine, he has horror with Twenty Eight Days Later, he has I don't know what with Trance. But it's all over the place. He has another like thriller with the beach. Yeah, the beach. Um, train spotting is obviously a drug drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this one, which I get it's a straight up drama thriller. I don't know what to classify this. I as. would say this is like man a, versus a, wild. Yeah, true story, man versus wild. Yeah, thriller. I have this labeled in my notes as man versus boulder. <laughs> man versus rock. Yeah, all mine have man versus whatever it is. That's this is hilarious. man versus boulder. Um, but the interesting thing for me is that James Franco wasn't the first choice of the director or anyone involved with this movie. Really? Like they wanted Cillian Murphy. Okay. From 28 days later, you know, worked with them sure. there. Uh, when he passed, they also wanted Shia LaBeouf and Sebastian Stan. Really? Yeah. I could not see this movie with Shia LaBeouf. Definitely not. Maybe Sebastian Stan. Maybe, but Sebastian Stan is one of those guys, like, I only know him from Captain America. Winter Soldier? Yeah. So I know he's been in other stuff. He's a weird person to me. Like, I don't know that I could... I don't know. I think he's too pretty. Right. Like, he looks too Hollywood. Right. You know what I mean? Well, and this was kind of one of those where... And I've gone back and forth on the fence on this, but I am not sure exactly where I land on James Franco. I think I like him. 
Sometimes I like him. Because, like, all the stuff, the random stuff that he does, like the guest star on General Hospital, like the master's degrees that he's gotten in his spare time, the poetry and art that he does for no reason, and then just all the movies, like, he does a lot of comedy he's, movies he's now. He's cranking out directing movies, too. Yeah. He's directed a shit ton of movies. And then, and then there's this. He's really good in this. Right. Like, really good in this. Yeah, I mean, the whole movie is just... Him. Like he literally yeah. has to carry the entire movie. It's like, I mean, it's like phone booth or buried, you right? Know, you have to have an actor who you don't mind watching basically degrade <laughs> right. over the course of like an hour and a half. And he carries it extremely well. I, I will totally agree with that. So that why, that's why for me, this is my number five. I think it's solid, man. So. I think that's a solid choice. Like I said, the only reason it nixed it for me is because it. the other movies on my list, I enjoy more. Like I want to watch them and I would watch them again. Um, yeah. But that one, man, I just, it's I can't hard. stomach doing it's it. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. I'm with you. Like even me, I, I enjoy like movie gore and you know practical effects. But it's different stuff, when it but. feels real my arm visceral watching this one and then to also in the back of your head know this guy did this yeah you know what i mean like this isn't just like some fantastic idea where they're like hey what if we had this idea where this guy had to cut his arm off yeah this guy gets you know like like watch this guy's arm get eaten by a raptor this dude got stuck really in a boulder and actually had to saw his own arm off with a pocket knife yeah like that's some i might have just let myself die I don't know what I would have done. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know that I could actually cut my own arm off. I really think, I, I've not that I've thought of this a lot, but the that idea, especially when this movie came out, like what would you do in this situation? Yeah. I really think that I would have eventually gotten to the point where I'm like, this is my only way out. But then I just would have passed out doing it and just died. Right. <laughs> like, I just like the first cut in my forearm. I'm like, nope, unconscious. Right, like, I don't. I never would like, have been able to do it. Made it through, broke the bone because yeah. you have to break the bone. Like he had to like snap it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, like just even describing it right now is making me cringe. Like there's so yeah. it's, I, folks. I don't know how familiar you are you are with human anatomy. It's not as simple as, and especially when you're doing it with a pocket knife. Yes, it's not as simple as just like you got a sweet machete and just one chop yeah. and you're through. Oh, this isn't this like, isn't this a is, horror movie slice. In the movie, this is a 20 minute endeavor. Where well, and and not to get too graphic, but the movie does. But like he has to cut through like veins and tendons. And he's like using the little scissors and yeah, it's awful. But it's it's memorable if yeah. nothing else. <laughs> For sure. Memorable enough for me to put it as number five. For sure. On my man versus so, wild list. So very solid. Very solid. Next right. up. So number four, Castaway mm, by Robert it. Zemeckis. I love it. So this one is labeled in my in my notes as man versus island. I'll go ahead and throw in. Uh, this is my number three. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. So up top. One higher than yours. Yes. But still on good. the list nonetheless. Still good. Um, I, I think this is kind of a given, like I knew immediately when we were putting these together, this was going to be on there for sure somewhere. Um, and you know, I was reading an interview with Tom Hanks about it and he said one of the reasons he really wanted to do this was he wanted to breathe new life into the stuck on an Island genre. He's like, before this you have, you know, Robinson Crusoe and you have Gilligan's Island, but there's not really a modern take on this and outside of maybe like 
Blue Lagoon or the beach or something. But, oh, absolutely. But this movie, I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon. Like, it really did. It was, I mean, it was a Tom Hanks vehicle back in the time when every Tom Hanks vehicle got top billing. Everybody talked about it forever. Oh, yeah. I saw this one in the theater when it came out. Oh, so did I. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this movie four or five times in my lifetime. Oh, for sure. Um, and just... The little touches they put in there, obviously the relationship with him and Wilson was a unique thing. Man, I remember just like those jack-in-the-box uh, antenna like adornments, you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Like the little round balls. Yep. I remember. Do you remember when the Wilson ones were yep, going with around? Yeah, with a little hand on it. Yep, little hand prints on them. Yeah. Did you know, speaking of Wilson, did you know that in order to make uh, Tom Hanks' dialogue more realistic, in the script they actually had lines for Wilson? Oh, no, really? So they had the entire conversations actually written out so Tom Hanks would know exactly the beats of the conversation to make his more realistic and what he was envisioning Wilson say back to him. That's awesome. Yeah. That's smart. Again, we've talked about it on our show a lot. We love Tom Hanks. Uh, He could run for president, and and we would vote for him. For sure. Uh, I think everybody. He could run for president as David S. Pumpkins. Yes. (laughs) And I would still vote for him. I would still vote for him. But just his dedication to all of his roles, like with that – element you know of him knowing wilson's lines and reacting to them that's cool. is great but they filmed this in two time periods yes they filmed it in fat tom hanks yep pre-crash and, and then they waited a year for tom hanks to grow facial hair and lose a bunch of weight to finish the and movie. i remember seeing one of the late night shows i don't remember if it was like letterman or leno but he was on, and he was in the stage where he was growing out his beard and losing all the weight. Right. And they, it was during getting in preparation for Castaway. And I remember the interview, and they were just talking, and they were like, wow, like you look so different because his beard was legit. Right. Like he, he legit grew a crazy beard and crazy long hair. Right. And, uh, I remember just being like, I got to see this movie. Like, I, don't I know. know what this is, but like, this sounds fascinating. Well, and, I mean, I know that the body changes can be hard on actors and um, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, the the, the transformation he went through is pretty crazy, to say the least. And I actually probably blame this movie for giving Tom Hanks diabetes. Did you hear about that? (laughs) No. Tom Hanks has diabetes. Because of this movie? Because of all the weight fluctuations he's gone through for roles. Like how much he has to eat to gain weight and then how much he has to lose to lose weight. And so he was on a late night talk show talking about how he's not able to do that anymore. He has to take roles that allow him to maintain his normal body weight because it's unhealthy for him to do it now. I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you think that he had in some sort of like insurance clause, like if he develops some sort of medical issue, like the studio has to give him a certain amount of money? I mean, maybe. Why wouldn't you? I would think so. If I I would hope that Christian Bale had that for the machinist. (laughs) I don't think so. That was a small production (laughs) that he was. They were probably like, Christian, you don't have to do that. He's like, he's like, no, no, I'm going to be super. He's like, fuck it. Get out of my light. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only going to eat an apple and a coffee a day. Um, But also, I mean, think of Tom Hanks's. It's kind of weird to say, but like, what a cool life because he got paid for a year to do nothing but lose weight and grow his beard. Yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, I'm just hanging out, growing my facial hair Grow, for a year. Growing a beard and losing some weight. Oh, an actor's life. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, 
Um, but actually, one thing that I didn't know until researching this movie for this episode is that Zemeckis, in the year between those two films, filming like Fat Hanks and Thin Hanks, he filmed with the exact same crew as Castaway, filmed What Lies Beneath. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. I disagree. No, totally. That happened? Yeah. Interesting. In the year between waiting for Tom Hanks to go to Fat Hanks to Thin Hanks. That happened. He filmed a movie. He filmed the same crew filmed What Lies Beneath. Amazing. Which, as uh, you know, it goes to show why that movie is subpar. Because they're just kind of cramming it in wherever it could fit. I liked What Lies Beneath. It was okay at best. Mm, I would say mediocre at worst. That's the same thing. I know. (laughs) I'm just being a contrarian. Now, again, I love, you know, I love Harrison Ford. Don't get me wrong. The movie was okay. Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah. It's okay. All right. It's not as good as Castaway. It is not as good what as What they bookended What Lies Beneath with. Yeah, so this movie, we even answered uh, one of our five for fives yep. recently. Um, somebody had asked what, the, was in the box. what our hypothetical concept of what was in the package yeah. that he had found. And right? actually, after we did that episode and answered that question, I got reminded of, do you remember the old joke FedEx commercial that came out with this movie? Mm-mm. It was like a Super Bowl commercial the year or two after, sometime after. And they did a what's in the box, whatever. And they show the scene of him delivering it to her. And he's like, by the way, what's in this box? And she's like, oh, just stupid stuff. It's like a GPS locator and a satellite phone and a fishing rod and some seeds. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's hilarious. And even Robert Zemeckis has made the joke. People have asked him what's in the box. He's like, it was a satellite phone. <laughs> Which I love. That would have been awesome. I love that joke that the one thing he didn't open on the whole island was what what could have saved him. But just like um just like 127 hours not to the same extent, but this movie had parts that were tough, man. Like when he knocks out his own tooth with the ice skate. Oh my god, the ice skate and when he comes down on the coral on his leg. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, absolutely. It, I don't know how they filmed that. I'm mean, sure I I know it was practical effects, but man, that coral just slices right into his thigh. That would just, oh, it makes me cringe just thinking about it. Yep. And that, and, um, you know, and it deals with some heavy shit, man. Like, he's totally debating whether to kill himself at one point. I mean, it's it's intense. It is an intense movie for sure. Well, and uh, even beyond that, it did some things that I thought were sort of weird. Like, it legitimately made me care about his relationship with that volleyball. Like the scene where he loses Wilson on the raft. Oh man, it's heartbreaking. And it's like, wait a minute, this is so dumb. It's like he's talking to a vol. He's going crazy, but now I feel genuinely bad that he's losing this volleyball. And I didn't know if I felt bad for Wilson or for Tom Hanks. (laughs) Both. And actually, I I did uh, read something else. I don't know if this was on purpose. I kind of hope it is. But his name is like Clint Nolan or something like that. Or some it's Cliff Nolan or Cliff. Oh, in like, the movie. Yes. Okay. If you put his name like it would be on a mailbox, it's C No Land. What? Yeah. That had to be on purpose. It had to be right, but kind of dumb. Yeah. Totally dumb. One hundred percent. The dumbest of dumb. 
But yeah, I I really Castaway is one of those movies like 127 hours. I kind of agree with you on it's not one that I go back and watch a whole lot because it's tough to get through. But this movie, even though it's super long, it's like two hours and forty some odd minutes. It's really really entertaining, and I can watch it any time of the day and feel fine about it. Like I love that they didn't. It wasn't product placement for FedEx. They actually just had to get permission to use them. Right. Um, they didn't. FedEx didn't pay a dime to be used in the film which I think is cool of them. Um, but it's just a very entertaining and engaging film. And anything led by Tom Hanks, I mean, you have to carry that movie if you're going to make it. And I, I don't think there's anybody that, that can carry a movie better than Except him. Except for Tom Hanks. Yeah. We could also have put, uh, for Man vs. Wild, Joe vs. the Volcano. We could. We could. That was a Although, bit of a fantasy. Although it's a little bit fantasy, but it's also more like Man versus. Tom other Hanks. men, <laughs> yeah, like man versus other men, totally. Um, but this Although is, I do like Joe Vol- versus the volcano. This is a solid choice for your number four, man. Yeah, that's why it's my number three. I totally agree. So I'll uh, I'll go back through five and four, and then we can see what yours are. All right. So my number five is 127 Hours by Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. and my number four is Castaway by Robert Zemeckis. Mm. Yep, I'm digging it. So now I need to know, Q, what are your five and four? Well, Jay, Woo-hoo. I'll tell you. My number five is Twister. Nice. Mm -hmm. Twister's on my honorable mention list. Solid flick. Super solid flick. Um, This one, man, uh, for me, that was another one that they had on uh, Movie Magic. We've been talking about that a lot lately. Uh, The Discovery, the old gym, that old gym of the Discovery show. Ever since we talked about it on the last episode, I have wanted to do nothing more than just find all those episodes. And watch I did. Them. And you found, found them on them. YouTube. They're on right? YouTube. They're all streaming for free I'm in their entirety. Totally going to watch that. Um, but Twister, man, um, that was one. Bill Paxton, RIP, Helen Hunt, yep. um, uh, the late, great Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Uh, who else? Am I? I'm trying to think of the other guy's name um, from Princess Bride. Carrie Elways. Carrie Elways. Thank mm-hmm. you. He's in it. Um, awesome movie. One of the only movies that, um, I, I don't know, on concept alone, it's like storm chasers fighting a tornado, kind of. Yeah. Um, fighting I, a tornado. I mean, Study, kind of. Studying a tornado with mechanical They fireflies. are, but they do treat it as if they do. The, the tornado has like a sentience. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the tornado is treated like a character it is. in this movie. You know what I mean? Um, and they have, it's almost like a vendetta, you know what I yeah. mean? Like this, this tornado, you know, I'm going to get it once <laughs> and for all, you know? Um, like it's as if it's the same tornado that just like keeps, you know, spinning up every <laughs> once in a while. It's um, like jaws five. It's a cousin it of is, the original. It is 100% totally. Um, but uh, so we've got that. Uh, Jan de Bont is, is the director of this. He's fun to say. Old Jan de Bont. Uh, now I now I did hear some crazy shit about the production of this movie. Okay. That, like Jan de Bont is apparently like incredibly difficult to work with. Really. And was just really pushed pushed the cra- casting crew didn't, on this movie. Didn't he do the impossible as well or no? Uh, did he? Hold on, let's take a look. I forget just, what all he's let done. Let me just click his name real quick. Well, while you're looking out. that up, I did want to mention one thing. Did you see speaking of Bill Paxton and speaking of Storm Chasers? He did not. Okay. Um did you see the tribute that Storm Chasers did for Bill Paxton when he passed away? 
No. This is a real thing, and I encourage everybody to look this up. So the head of the Storm Chasers like union or group in America uh-huh. organized all Storm Chasers to mobilize their GPS units and basically go to different parts of the country in honor of Bill Paxton, and this is what they did the day after his death. What? So for everyone not looking, it's a map of basically Oklahoma and Texas where a gigantic B and P for Bill Paxton's initials are spelled out with GPS markers for storm chasers that, all across the country. That legit made a little tear well up it's in my It's beautiful, in my isn't it? Hole. Like the, the, the head of their union basically got together and said, everybody, you go to this point, you go to this point, and he mobilized this whole thing and, in honor of Bill Paxton. That's so crazy. Because of how well he showed their profession and gave credence to it in that movie. That's so, that is so nuts. <laughs> so I've, I've always thought, I mean, that was one of the most moving things. It was almost like L.A. turning on the bat signal for Adam West I when mean, he passed away. On. Like, it's just... Sometimes, sometimes people do some of the most amazingly moving things. Yeah, and you're just like, you know what? Humanity isn't total shit after all. We're mostly shit. Mostly not shit. total like shit. Like 87% right. shit. Um, so in this flick, uh, basically, Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Storm Ch- or he- are the heads of some storm-chasing outfits. And um, they have developed a uh, new technology called, I think they call it Dorothy. Yes, Dorothy uh, 2, actually. Okay. Because the first one was a Which bust. is, it's basically a garbage can filled with <laughs> yes. little ball trackers, like sensors. Mm-hmm. And their goal is to get the tornado to suck it up into the tornado, and the balls will dispense and basically give them very accurate writings right. of like how the tornado functions. Which, to my brain at the time of watching um, Twister, seemed extremely logical. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I don't know it's if like, that's yes. actually how storm chasers could and do, like, study tornadoes, but they should figure out a way to make that work. They even have to put the little aluminum can wings on them. Yeah, that, that I was about to say that's how they do it at the end. Yeah. Because they have some failed attempts, and finally they realize they put some little aluminum can wings on it, and they manage to to do it and they get it into an f5 tornado which is kind of like the granddaddy of all tornadoes right like a big ass tornado right um it's like the the michael clark duncan of tornadoes for sure but our r.i.p once again (laughs) uh but this or the ving rames of tornadoes (laughs) not r.i.p no um but this movie um that has such iconic like images like i think of the cow everybody thinks of the the cow cow getting sucked up um them driving through the house yep um, I think of, uh, the, the scene where they're like Helen Hunt is having her flashbacks, like uh-huh. to her being a little kid and them like trying to close the storm doors yeah. and like the tornado coming. And uh, then is it like a family member gets like sucked yeah. out through there? I think it's her dad. Yeah. And I also think of the scene where they get on that like underground pipe and they string the belt oh, through and yeah. they just get picked up. Oh man. Which again, movie magic showed how they did that. It was a rotating stage yep and so they, as the wind picked up it sort of started to angle them a perpendicular but basically so they by were the hanging of, by the end of it the the stage and the camera were upside down which made them look like they were being straight pulled up. up but they're actually hanging yeah no wires or anything it was just it was crazy just a a, a circular stage i'm gonna go watch all of these tonight it's like, so exciting I'm so exciting that i'm so excited that i found these um but uh, so a couple interesting things about this, like I was saying, really hard to work with. Um, 
halfway through the filming, both Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt were temporarily blinded. Oh, my God. By bright electronic lamps that were used to get the exposure down to make the sky behind the actors look dark and stormy. Oh, wow. And he, uh, Bill Paxton was interviewed and said that the lights actu- like literally sunburned their eyeballs. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so that was part of the studio's like frustration with Jan de Bont is he insisted on certain techniques of doing right. things. And they're like, we can do these kind of things. Just add a filter. In post. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. And well, he I mean, even with it. Castaway, all the nighttime scenes were filmed during the day. They just did it in post. Right. But okay, he, we'll do it live. But he wouldn't do it. He wanted to do DeBont. it on set. And so, like, how fucking crazy is that? What a debutante, um, that DeBont. And so um, some crew members uh, felt that Jan DeBont was out of control. And so some of the crew left five weeks into filming. Wow. Like, they were just like, fuck this. Like, we're out. We're not going to be a part of this. Um, and including the whole, the entire camera crew. Wow. Did they go join up with Carrie LU's crew? They did. <laughs> 100. They're like, fuck this. Fuck We're going to go with a more sophisticated crew. Yeah. Um, and they also said that, uh, according to this, interesting, there was no, like, Jan de Bont refused to really block out the scenes. Really? So that's why the camera crew left, is because he they they were arguing, they said that Jan de Bont, and the way they phrased it was, he didn't know what he wanted until he got it. So genuinely, he would be like, okay, put the camera over there. Okay, now just move it over here. So he's, he's just st- burning film. Exactly. And so it had like a super high production cost. I'm on surprised the, movie. the studio didn't jump in and say you can't do that anymore. I mean, they basic they they basically um they basically did. Um but I they think s- the craziest part of the whole production was that Jan Devont refused to use CGI, so he made them actually film with F5 tornadoes. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> um you ready for the amount of film? Yes. DeBont insisted on using multiple cameras, okay, because he didn't know, which led to the exposure of 1.3 million feet of raw film. Oh, my God. It says most films use no more than (laughs) 300,000. So he used more than three times the amount of film of a normal thing. Good Lord in heaven. Now, tell me that doesn't seem just extremely wasteful. It does. It just sounds dumb in my opinion. Which also means that there's enough to make three more Twister movies. (laughs) I would From love different angles. I would love to see the twelve-hour director's cut <laughs> of, of, Twister. of Twister. Isn't that crazy though? It is. It actually really is. I'm trying to see like what other things this guy has directed because it feels like, yeah, not much. Speed. Mm-hmm. That was his movie before yeah. Twister. Which I guess in Speed, it's not that big of a problem with camera angles. There's only so many ways you can film inside yeah. a bus. He was originally, before Emmerich took over Godzilla, he was supposed to direct Godzilla. Really? He spent a year and a half in production. That would have been terrible. And then left over a dispute over the budget. <laughs> he did do Speed 2 Cruise Control. Um, and then he did the despicable, the utterly... Nearly unwatchable horror movie, The Haunting. The Haunting? Yeah, with Liam Ugh. Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones Ugh. and Owen Wilson. Oh, wow. That was oh, him. Wow, wow and, I got my head cut off. And oh, then wow. finally, the last film was, he's credited with. Can you just acknowledge my really bad Owen Wilson impression? It was pretty, it was pretty great. Wow. 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 wow it was pretty great. Wow. The uh, piece of the fireplace came in. I sound more like Mr. Mackey from <laughs> South Park. Okay, kids. Mm. <laughs> Where the, Mr. Uh, Mackey was Owen Wilson. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
Wow. You see, I was... This is a better Owen Wilson. Wow. wow. That is good. That's pretty good. Wow. And you're making wow. the facial expression. You actually look you like him as well. You have to if you're going to do an Owen Wilson. You have wow. to look like Owen Wilson wow. in a sweater vest. <laughs> Why did he just become Sean Connery I at the end? In a, sweat, <laughs> in a sweater vest. In, Indy, get me my sweater Junior. vest. <laughs> Junior. Junior. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. How do you like how do you like that? Shuck it, Trebek. <laughs> how do you like them apples? Oh wow. Oh wow. Um anyway. And then finally, <laughs> the last thing he's credited with has not directed a single thing after Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. <laughs> oh wow. Wow, that's a shitty movie. Oh, that's so shitty. Um yeah, so he's basically a crazy person. So he directed Speed and Twister, and people were like Hell yeah, this guy's on the rise. And then he did Speed 2, Haunting, and Lara Croft. And, and they're, they're like, like never <laughs> give this guy film again. Never mind. Strike that. Pass on DeBont. Uh, but the movie as a whole is incredibly good. It's got some, I mean, for all his misuse of camera and footage and all that good stuff. He got some good shots. The movie is fucking amazing. And that shit holds up. It does. Like, it if really you go does. back and watch it, especially for a movie that, you know, when did this come out? This was... 95, 96? Uh, 96. Yeah. That's right. So, for a movie that is 22 years old almost, 21 years old... It can drink now. Holy shit, dude. That movie can drink. People born in 1996 are 21 years old. I know. Isn't that a crazy concept? And they probably haven't seen Twister. I feel old. All right, anyway. uh, But yeah, this movie came out in 96, and I mean, considering... Special effects are pretty tried and true, and I I don't care what anybody else says. I will always hold my argument. That is because these movies that stuck with a lot of practical effects. Hold up. That shit holds up so much better than early-day CGI. I mean, John Carpenter's The Thing was made in the 80s, and it still holds up. That shit holds up so fucking well. Yeah, and that was made almost 10 years before this. Exactly. That's a cue to all you directors out there. Practical effects. Right. Let's do this. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why people insist on it. Do this. And let's make no qualms about it. Digital effects ain't cheap. No. So it's not like they're just You can't like make the excuse. Buku's. Oh, we didn't want to get all the fake blood or the whatever for the practical effects, so it's cheaper to go this. No, it's not. You're spending millions of dollars a second. Right. Which is dumb. It's dumb. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, High five officially calls for the end of the use of unnecessary CGI. Now, we're not saying CGI shouldn't be used no, to enhance it can definitely, or incorporate. It has a place. But it's the place isn't everywhere. No. <laughs> That's we're just not, what we're saying. We're not talking the Star Wars prequel trilogy. God, no. We're talking The Force Awakens. Much better. A lot had of practical effects. Balance. Had it Had, had a healthy balance. amount of CGI, too. Yeah. But the CGI and the practical effects, they melded together to make a very... You they know, did. visually interesting movie. And I guarantee you that movie 30 years from now will hold up way better than the prequel trilogy. Then the Phantom Menace. You're sh- are you sure about that? <laughs> I don't know. Are you willing to take that stand? Jar Jar Binks may be the most realistic <laughs> lifelike character. That's going to be a pretty controversial stand that we've now recorded for years on end. Did you hear that? James Cameron <laughs> suck it. Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, man. Misa think you guys suck. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So <laughs> uh, so that's Twister. That's my number yeah. five. I love it. So, so moving on to my number four. Number four is The Perfect Storm. Nice. Okay. I wasn't sure. I This one, I was in the 
the universe of considered movies, but mm-hmm. it didn't really make it on the list anywhere. Um, Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah. Wolfgang noted Puck. Noted director. And, um, and, and restaurateur. Also based on a true story. This one, for me, you know, spoiler alert, is always just so depressing. It is very this depressing. This movie is so goddamn depressing. Because, for spoiler alert, everyone dies. Right. Like, it almost feels like it should. you shouldn't be watching it. Like, it shouldn't be a movie because there's a trial and tribulation that no one makes it out of. Right. Well, and you keep thinking because, but see, I think that's why I love it so much. Right. It really subverts your expectations because Hollywood tells you in movies like this, the good guys will come out on top. At least one of them. Yeah. Somebody will make it out and they'll have that moment where they're standing by their graves and they're like, I've loved all these men and they worked so hard and they were my brothers. I've named a boat after them. But in this one, it's like, nope, they all die. They all go out to sea and none of them come back. It'd be like the end of Die Hard if Hans Gruber won. (laughs) But then also killed himself. Yes. No, but then also like, no, Hans Gruber wins and, and, uh, and Bruce Willis dies. Yeah, yeah, but I was just going to say they both die. Yeah. If just everyone dies and there's just no point to the movie, the building explodes, everyone's dead. And then you're just like, oh, glad I watched this for two hours. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Clooney. Um, but yeah, I mean, so this is a story of uh, all about the, how the, my life got flipped, turned upside, upside down. down. Like the the Andrea Gale is, is the name of the boat. Shut up. <laughs> the, the Andrea Gale what was the song. That you would come up with the Golden Girls theme song? Oh, make it! Oh shit, I can't remember now. Make, make it tight and good and great. Good. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the Andrea Gale returns to port in Gloucester, Gloucester, Gloucester. Yeah, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Um, Everything in Massachusetts is spelled really long but pronounced really short. Like Worcestershire is Worcester, Worcester, and this is Gloucester, Gloucester. Uh, Although it's, it's spelled got like seven consonants. Gloucestershire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gloucestershire. How's uh, that pronounced? Gale. Oh, cool. But, but you've got, uh, so these guys are uh, fishermen that are having a really shitty season. They're making, making right. zero money. And they decide to sail out during a storm because they need, right. they need a haul. They're like, this is going to be great for season two of Deadliest Catch. Exactly. And they're like, we need the money. We can't do it. They get a ragtag group together who's willing to brave the waters. Um, and that ragtag crew has a really great cast. I mean, we've got John C. Riley, We've got John Hawks, Mark Wahlberg, George right. Clooney. Um, I always forget John C. Riley's in that. Because I always forget John C. Riley is a very established dramatic he's actor. a fucking good actor oh i mean dolores claiborne he's awesome he's fucking in everything he's oh what was that movie sad i want to say savages not the savages with philip seymour hoffman and laura linney but there's a there's a stage play that got made into a movie oh, has like christoph know. waltz and john c Riley, and it's i believe it's called savage or savages hmm. and basically he, the premise of this movie not to get us too far off track is that John C. Riley and his wife, who is someone famous and I can't remember right now, are the parents of a boy. Uh huh. Um, are the parents of a boy who get into a fight with another boy, and the other boy's parents are Christoph Waltz and um, I think like Laura Linney or something like that. And then it's the two parents coming together over dinner to talk about what to do about their children, and then it just is- explodes in this d- domestic 
argument that lasts like an hour and a half, and this, the movie is just you watching this dinner. Interesting. It's really great. It sounds great. And John C. Riley is fantastic in it, just as he is in Perfect Storm. And so basically, I mean, this movie, once again, amazing CG effects, um, but that really lend to the reality of the situation and feels real. Like everything right. feels soaked. Everything feels rough. And like they're really getting beat to shit out in, this, out in the right. middle of the storm. And yeah, basically, they just, um, they all die. Well, but the 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 titular storm is basically a couple different storms merging, and they're sort of in the middle of it, right? Right. Yeah, Isn't yeah. that the premise of yes. it? It's like this unnatural, it's like a nexus. Yeah, this unnatural like storm nexus basically makes it so there's no way anyone survives. Yeah, and one of the craziest part is so uh, Billy, uh, who Crud is uh, nope, who is George <laughs> Clooney, decides to go down with the ship. When it's sinking, he does the captain thing because some of his crew is still trapped inside the ship. So it's kind of that that maritime law kind of thing, that unspoken thing where it's like if your ship is sinking and there's people aboard, you go down with your ship. Now, remind me, though, in the movie, he doesn't really have a chance to not go down with the ship. No, no, he, he chooses. I know, but like, could he have escaped? Yes. Okay. Well, maybe because <laughs> one person did get out. Okay. But then a big ass wave just carried him back out to the ocean. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like he could have, so he could have gotten out. Okay, we'll put it this boat. way. Yes, he could have gotten off have of the boat. But I doubt he would yeah. have survived. So he made the noble choice that wasn't really a choice. Right. He just decided to die in a bigger boat. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the guys gets out. And then it just immediately just he watches the ships. Oh, I is, made it. Yeah. yeah. Watches the ship sink and he's like, Yeah. And then it's like, oh, dead. <laughs> it's basically final destination on the water. Yeah, it's one hundred percent. Um I, I'm I make jokes, but it's a it's a good movie and it definitely deserves to be on this list. Even the part when they run up against Robert Redford and all is lost. <laughs> yes. All right. So on that note, on that ridiculousness, my number five. Uh, was Twister. My number four is The Perfect Storm. And now, hear this shit. <laughs> it's coming! Everybody underground now! Come on! The producers of Jurassic Park and the director of Speed bring you face-to-face with Twister. Get out of there! Hurry! There's no place to run. There's nowhere to hide. No time to escape. Don't think. I love you, and I'm going to see you soon, and you know what that means. From Academy Award-winning director Robert Zemeckis. Hey, is all this turbulence from Santa and those eight reindeer? At the edge of the world, Hello! Chuck Nolan is about to discover no one can save him. It's a search area of size in Texas. But himself. You'll never match, will you? Fire! Have my fire! Tom Hanks. 
passed away. Now playing only in theaters. Make it good, make it tight, and you're gonna stick it in your butt tonight. Make it good, make it tight. I don't know. What? Why did you add the stick it in your butt part? <laughs> Why? That's didn't? not part of the Golden Girls theme Why song. <laughs> Why didn't I? Although the B in B Arthur stands for butt. <laughs> I don't know. I was about to say. I, I thought. I bet Blanche has stuck a few things in her butt from time to time. Ooh, girl. Not Dorothy though. Let me She's tell a you. tight ass. Oh uh, shit. Uh, gross. I know. That's real gross. Okay, so man versus wild. Mm-hmm. We're back. We've done our fives and fours. We have. So now it's time for me, Jay, Jay, to go through three, two, and one. It is indeed. All right. Well, let's do it. My number three is uh, a favorite of mine. <laughs> I thought you were like, I don't know. No, no my number three is a favorite of mine mainly because I love the director, but it's The Birds oh, by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, clever boy. Yeah. Man versus nature, it is all the way. Technically, mm-hmm. and the, okay. Not only do I love pretty much everything Alfred Hitchcock did, he sort of established American cinematic horror. Sure, um, but he was all over the map when it came to movies. You got Rear Window, you've got North by Northwest, which is sort of like a suspense thriller. You've got Psycho, which is horror, and Vertigo, which is all over the place. But The Birds was a very, very interesting one because. The concept is really simple. It's a New England town. I believe it's New England and maybe California. But it's a coastal town that's on this little island that for no established reason begins being attacked by every bird imaginable. Yeah. And one of the things I love about what Alfred Hitchcock did with this is that he never acknowledges why it's happening. It's yeah, just no. a matter of it has to happen. Yep, there is no explanation. I do. I will agree with you on that. I like the fact that there wasn't like, well, it appears that there's some sort of, you know, ecological The government has been testing right. birds. No, it's just like this weird fucking phenomenon is yeah. happening. Deal with it. Yeah, for no reason. Right. And like the, the, the movie begins by basically establishing and getting our characters all onto this island. Right. And it's, you know, there's this hoity-toity high-class lady who follows a guy she has a crush on and then just basically gets trapped there. Right. And then the rest of the movie is literally just birds murdering people. Yeah. And you think, oh, that sounds kind of dumb. But then you see a guy with his eyes pecked out. And you're like, oh, this isn't as dumb as I thought. And I remember, like, still to this day, I can visualize that one scene super well. Just the idea of this guy with his eyes covered in cuts, just his eyes pecked out by these birds. And it's horrifying. Oh, for sure. Just the thought of something that you're surrounded by all day long. You know, what if, just what if it turned against you? Like, what if... (laughs) You're fucked. Yeah. What if, especially since we're talking about man versus nature, you take almost any species of anything that lives around you on a normal basis and just say, you know what, if they all decided to attack the human race... At what what sort of disadvantage would we be at? Right, yeah. Like, you could do it with ants. It seems innocuous. Yeah. But if every ant that was in the dirt suddenly right now... Turned. Suddenly turned on you, you'd be in trouble. We're fucked. Spiders. Oh, don't even say that. Mosquitoes. Arachnophobia. That movie fucks me up still. Ugh. That it was, would have been a good honorable mention. I actually have it... I reference it in one of my other okay. ones coming up, and you'll see why. Okay. But... um. I mean, is it because you put eight-legged freaks on? <laughs> it is. On your it list? is. 
It is. Uh, no, that that's in the sci-fi genre. Or it totally would have been on here because it's not a shitty movie at all. Um, but what Albert, I mean Al, Alfred Hitchcock was able to do with this movie, it's incredibly watchable. To me, it still stands up. You know, oh, I think all yeah. of his movies stand the test of yeah, time to a certain extent. But this one, just with it being a true man versus nature, because they kill a whole bunch of birds in the process oh, for sure. of this movie. Um, it just scared the shit out of me as a kid. It's almost like, you know, with some movies, you're like, oh, I'm afraid to go in the ocean or psycho. You know, I'm afraid to take a shower. This one, it's like, now I'm sort of afraid of birds. Right. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, I don't yeah. know why I'm afraid of birds, but I totally am. Yeah. And that to me, with it being such a stalwart of the American cinema and it being Alfred Hitchcock and it being straight in line with the theme today. Had to be high on the list. I fucking love it, man. So that's why it's number three for me. That's a solid number three. I can appreciate that. You know I have a deep love for Alfred Hitchcock. You and I yep. both share a very deep love for the film Psycho. We actually got to see that we in the theater together. In the theater together. Which was amazing. Um, so I can't argue yeah. with that. I, I'm actually a little bummed that I didn't even think about that one when I was building this list. When but that came to me, I was like, oh, this is top three. It's totally, totally, totally tops. So my next one. Mm-hmm. Is uh, from we were going from 1963 to 1993. Ooh, and this right. is the one that's related to arachnophobia. Interesting. This one is Alive by Frank Marshall. Do you know what my number th- uh, two is? Is it Alive? It's Alive by Frank Marshall. Yeah. High five. Woo. Well, then we can just share this. Yeah. The reason that it's related to arachnophobia is because Frank Marshall also directed. Arachnophobia. arachnophobia and he also directed congo and he also directed eight below yeah all man versus nature stories totally to some degree 100 percent. congo now, is a shitty movie though it is um i liked it because i really liked that book okay but so i have a fondness for it but you're right. you really it's, like tim curry i do really like tim <laughs> curry actually but it is a shitty movie now frank marshall is an interesting one because he has those four or five movies that people know but he's much more well-known as a producer. Yes. And I pulled up some and of the... brother of Penny Marshall. Yes. Uh, but I pulled up some of the movie that he's been credited as either a producer or executive producer on. And this list may blow your mind, plus our listeners. Okay. I'm just going to read a smattering. I didn't even pull all of them. I just pulled every other third one. All right. The BFG. Assassin's Creed. Girl on the Train. Sully. Warhorse, all the Bourne movies, <laughs> Ponyo, Wow, Sea Biscuit, The Sixth Sense, Tiny Toons Adventures, What Hook, all the Back to the Futures, all the Indi- Indiana Jones movies, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Color Purple, Gremlins, What Poltergeist. So he definitely had a heyday in the eighties, early nineties. He for was sure. definitely part of that Spielberg crew. Okay. For all intents and purposes. But this guy knows how to pick and produce movies. Yeah, for sure. And while not as established as a director, this movie is just, it's up there. This is one of those that is the perfect example of the kind of what would you do situation, just like 127 hours, and we discussed that. I remember when this movie came out, I was young. I saw it a couple years later. Um but it definitely I, I had I was talking with friends while coming up with this list and talking right. about it. And I'm like, because the the thing is, is the uh, the Uruguayan soccer team. 
Yeah, right? rugby team. Rugby team. Um, they're traveling to Chile. Right. And their plane crashes. In the Andes Mountains. In the Andes yeah. Mountains. And it's basically just survive yeah. until you get rescued. I have this one as man versus cold. Yeah, or man versus cannibalism. Yeah, because that is one of that's the, the hook of this movie. Biggest things is because as they are starving to death yep. in the cold, and several of the members have already died, they are forced to face the question of: Are they willing to eat? Right. The other people who, if they have not killed, they're not choosing no, no, people no, no, no. to murder. No, no, and no, no, then no. These are already dead, dead, preserved bodies in the snow. Yep. And like, what would you do? Like, like if you, you were starving to death, to death would you would you eat, eat someone you knew? <laughs> and so I'm going to pose that question to you. If you were in a situation, just like I asked if you could cut your arm off, would you, let's say you and I flying to a podcast convention, our plane <laughs> crashes, and I die. Right. If, if, in the plane crash. Right. And you have no other source of food. Are you going to eat me? I'll tell you. Will you put my dick in your mouth is what I'm asking. In all, in all seriousness. <laughs> yes. I would do that before I'd cut off my own arm. You'd eat somebody else? Yeah. I totally would too. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean to be mean or vulgar or like sadistic about it, but if I'm, if I'm in this situation, yeah, you know, back in my Uruguayan rugby days, sure. I would be able to do, th- I would be able to mentally compartmentalize myself for survival to do this more than I'd be able to bit by bit cut off my own oh, arm. I 100% in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat would eat you. Like before the first day is over. Yeah. You're not even like really hungry no, yet. You're just like, like a little bit I of feel a twang. Peckish. It's like, ah, Joey's not going to mind. Yeah, he's fine. He's dead. Yeah. Um, But I... I would like yeah. I asked other friends about this and it, shockingly a lot of people were really like I don't know if I could do it and I'm like I'm, really like I could tell myself that I'm eating chicken like right. I could get past it I'm not I'm not going to feel like damned to hell for eternity for it and like and and yes I understand the emotional weight that it would pull yes, of like course. I'm not I'm not saying it would be an easy choice no, not at but all. I'm saying I could get there if I was trapped in the Andes mountains for like two weeks I could get there faster than I could get like yeah. I need to lop off my leg right you know what I mean yeah with this dull pocket knife like I'm not gonna rush to this decision it's not gonna be like five minutes after the crash right. is like round up the dead bodies let's eat right you know it's like hey let's go to let's go to golden corral but I just remember these scenes and them cutting like little pieces off of the body like little like chunks and eating it and I just remember being still relatively young when I saw this that fucking blew my yeah. mind and then the fact coupled that it was based on a true story yes and they had it was uh, i think it was 29 29 players died 16 right. survivors and a bunch of like family members were on the plane yeah. too um well and 29 people died that's kind of one of the interesting things about this list for me is that a lot of these especially the best ones that are like story based are usually based in some degree off of true stories you know, like 127 hours is Castaway kind of is. Oh yeah. Um, Alive is, and then you know, um, my number one is also based sort of on a true story. The Perfect Storm is based on a true story. Like these tales of nature causing humans to do 
otherworldly heroic feats or be put in situations that no human should be forced to be put in. It's sort of like that lends itself really well to these types of movies. Like even the impossible is a true story. So seeing all that come together, I mean, this for me, you know, alive starring a young Ethan Hawke right after his dead poet society and white Fang, yep. another man versus wild movie um, does a really good job. Um, narrated by John Malkovich. I mean, there's a lot of people associated with this movie. Although I did read, um, I think one of the the side cast members is Josh Hamilton. Um, he got the part because Brad Pitt did a bad line reading and Frank Marshall didn't want him. So I thought that was really fun. I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, Brad, Brad Pitt auditioned for this movie and did a bad read. And so the producers and Frank Marshall didn't want him. So they gave that role to Josh... Hamilton, who's in the movie. What? Yeah. So. I didn't know that. So, yes. You just schooled me on that. I am glad that this this is your number two as this well. This is my number two as well. So, so we, we shared, shared it. it. I'm very, very curious if we are going to share number ones. We might. Because so far. We Do the clues we, I've given lend itself to A leave? little bit. But my, so my number three was uh, Castaway, which was your number four. Right? Right. Um, and then. Now we've shared our number twos for a live, so I'm ready for when you are for you to hit me with your number. Okay, your number one. So my number one, I'll give you the year and see if your face lights up. Okay. My number one is 1975. Yep, Jaws. 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 Yes, yes. number one. I'm so excited jinxies. that we get to do a Jaws Jinxies. Jaws Jinxies. Jaxies. A Jaxies. So Jaws by. A large margin for me. A large margin. Best in the best man versus nature, man versus I wild. I couldn't imagine a better one. That's the one when we came up with this idea for this episode. The only one I thought of was like, "Well, Jaws is number one. Jaws. I just need to figure out the other four. Of course. <laughs> I mean, we're talking the ultimate power struggle, right? And not only is it a fantastic man versus wild power struggle, but the cast is perfect. It's a cultural epitome of good, scary, you know, movies. It's a cinema classic yeah. for because it should be. The music is beyond compare with how good it is, basically launching John Williams' career. And this made people not go in the water. Exactly. Like this, this That's almost, the part that always gets me. Is this like, movie decimated the coastal tourism market. Right. Because people were like, fuck that. Yeah. I'm not getting eaten by a shark. Right. I ain't getting eaten by no shark. Right. I'm Samuel L. Jackson. Like, people didn't see Castaway or like, well, I'm never working for FedEx, FedEx again. Right. Or people didn't see Alive and be like, well, I'm never flying, flying to Chile. With, right. <laughs> like, people didn't see the birds and I'm like, well, I don't like birds. <laughs> like, people still go camping and hiking. For, I mean, obviously, people still go in the ocean. But sure. after Jaws, people stopped going in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And beyond that, I mean... This scene, I mean, this movie has one of the, never have I seen a depiction sometimes of more helplessness than man being out of their element in the ocean, in right. this shark's element. You know what I right. mean? They are in this shark's world. And the actual fear that that gave me sticks with me to this day because it's this concept of being... You know, on land, we're in charge. Yeah, we're we're the we're the top ruling beast. Right. In the water, 
I'm a small little guppy yeah. compared to the creatures in general that are floating around. Well, and even beyond that, we have, as a human species in all of existence, explored less than 10% of the ocean. Right. So there are there is a 95% chance that there are a lot of things we haven't even experienced yet. Exactly. And we know about sharks, and they're scary as hell. And even scarier, the thing about Jaws is... I know there were mechanical failures, which is why we don't see the shark Bruce the throughout shark. the whole. Yes, Bruce and Bruce too. It's why we don't see the shark throughout most of the film. But that's such a genius move because it's so much scarier when you just know it's down there somewhere. Right, and see that, and sometimes I truly feel like some of the best things in cinema are those happy accidents. Yeah. Because they intended fully to show the shark a lot more than right. they did. And the fact that they couldn't, you are absolutely right. It made it ten times more terrifying. Well, it's just like, okay, let's let's take this outside of the realm that it actually is. And I, you can make an argument that it's sort of a horror movie. Because it kind of sure. is. It has horrific elements to it. Yes. Jaws uses the water like horror movies use darkness. Yes. Is you know... Something could be there, but you don't know if it is or where it is. Right. And that's why movies like Lights Out, which is pretty terrible, but when the light comes back on and somebody's just right there, it's so horrifying. In this, it's clear waters, and all of a sudden, you need a bigger boat. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden, Robert Shaw is being eaten from the knees down. But I still have just a guttural fear of... I mean, this creature, okay, so aside, I know people will be like, well, great white sharks don't naturally grow that large either. Like, this shark is 30 Whoa. feet long or whatever. What, yeah, whatever. That's fine. But the concept of this huge fucking creature. Yeah. Just rows of teeth ready to just fucking eat the shit out of you mm -hmm. is fucking terrifying to me. Like, that is so scary. And just the... um. Yeah, I mean, that shot of the swimmer, like the opening scene yep. of her just yeah. bobbing along, and it just has that dun-dun, dun-dun. <laughs> Have you heard the story dun, about dun, that, dun, that dun, music? Uh-uh. John Williams played that music for Steven Spielberg to, like, approve, mm -hmm. and when he got done, Steven Spielberg laughed and said, okay, John, now play me the real music for Jaws. Because he what? thought it was so simple, he didn't see it in context. Right. And he just thought it was so silly that it was just two notes that he was like, all right, funny, funny, but now play me the real music. And then he, you know, he ended up using it and it was... And it's it's iconic. Yes. You know, it's it's as iconic as the fucking Jason... Me or the... Uh, J -J 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 -J. Yeah. Or the Star Wars sound, theme song. Sound, Absolutely. Well, I, was th I was even thinking amongst, like, since you had made the serial killer comparison... Oh, right. I mean, it's it's equally as yeah. recognizable as the bells for Michael Myers. Yeah, you know what I mean. The um, ding, 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 uh huh. Um, so it's it's one of those things that it's um, it's just it is super iconic. But man, that fucking struggle at the end of that movie, it's it's fantastic with the boat fucking sinking and the and um, God damn it, I can't think of his name now. Dreyfus Roy uh, Schneider. Roy Scheider. Gets that fucking tank in his mouth and he says, you smile, you son of a bitch. So And then good. he fucking shoots the tank and it just... Well, and I love that the line, you were going to need a bigger boat, was ad-libbed. 
Um, Fucking brilliant. One of the things about Jaws, and and let's very carefully contain this to the first Jaws. Okay. Because all the rest of them are terrible. Yes. The true. second one is watchable. The third one is in a Which, theme park. Oh, okay. I was about to say, was no. the second one a theme park? No, the second one is, is the same island. Still Roy Andy. Schneider is not the chief anymore. And okay. then his son goes out. And gets trapped on an island or something. Oh, okay. The third one is in the theme park. And that's the one with Quaid. Yes. With Dennis Quaid. And then the fourth one is the one where the cousin of the shark from the first movie travels and finds Roy Schneider's family in Australia and terrorizes them. Which is ridiculous. So stupid. But this one, outside of all those other ones, are very contained. Like... In the second one, it's all it all takes place in the bay around sure. that island. Yeah. In the third one, they're trapped in a theme park, and in the fourth one, it's just off the coast of Australia. This one, for most of the movie, you feel like you're isolated in the middle of the ocean, right? And that adds an element of helplessness, mm. adds an element of suspense, and an element of unknowingness because that shark could be anywhere until you see that fin, right? So, oh, absolutely. Like for me, there was no question ever when I put this list together that Jaws wasn't number one. It's just there was no oh, question. Oh, for sure, definitely. So, I mean, so that's it. That's why it's on my list. So, really, I've already revealed my top three. We've <laughs> and discussed we've discussed them and we've discussed them. Uh, so, I'll go, go through, through my your list and then I'll just go through my yeah. list. Okay, so my number five is 127 Hours by Danny Boyle. Nice. My number four is Castaway by Robert Zemeckis. Very good. Uh, number three is The Birds by Hitchcock. Number two is Alive by Frank Marshall. Mm-hmm. And number one is Jaws by Steven Spielberg. So we shared our top two. That's so amazing. We did. All right. So I'll roll back through Q's list. We've got number five was Twister. Number four is The Perfect Storm. Number three is Castaway. Number two is Alive. And number one is Jaws. I love it. That I was fucking, a really good It list. was. And was I'm fun. super fucking excited to do a, yeah. j- a Jaws Jinxies. I know. Because we get to talk about at length the, about the, the production of that movie and some of the behind the scenes stuff. So we can dive more into the feud between Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus. Did totally you know they hated it. each other? I did set? indeed. Yes. So we can talk about all of that. Yes. But right now, I think we should have people listen to this while we get ready for our game. Games! My name is Alfred Hitchcock, and I would like to tell you about our good friends, the birds. That's the damnest thing I ever saw. Birds just don't go around attacking people without no reason. Yes, they attack the children, attack them. What's the matter with all the birds? Birds are not aggressive creatures, miss. They bring beauty into the world. Those gulls attack. Impossible. They came in right down the chimney. Why are they doing this? It's the end of the world. Are the birds going to eat us, Mommy? Get yourselves guns and wipe them off the face of the earth. That would hardly be possible. Mitch, don't! The five continents of the world contain more than a hundred billion birds. All at once, the birds were everywhere. Why don't you all go home? Lock your doors and windows. Did you get the windows in the attic? When do you think they'll come? What happens when you run out of wood? I don't know. You don't know? When will you know? When we're all dead!
was seen by 67 million people. It took two years to make. It was shown in 40 countries, in 17 different languages. Nominated for 18 awards. Hurry up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now, shoot! Roy Scheider. Well, why don't we start leading the shark into shore instead of him leading us out to sea? Robert Shaw. He's gone under. He's gone under the boat. I think he's gone under the boat. Richard Dreyfus. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. If you forgot what terror is like, the original Jaws is back. Coming soon for a limited engagement at a theater near you. Strong and tight and you're just adding new words to my fluffy song. and butt stuff. Good and tight and great and good and tight and great. And <laughs> I'm Robert Loja. <laughs> Robert, I'm an angry fucking. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Oh wow. Wow. Uh, all right, are you ready? Are you and Owen ready for our game? Wow, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do all it. All right, so our game today uh, was actually created by you. Woo! Um, and we have the great title of "Man versus Mild." Yes, since it's a man versus wild theme. So the premise of the game is we are going to have to pitch each other innocuous settings, and then the other is going to have to pitch a survival or man versus nature style movie with that setting. Yes. So I will go first okay. and I will pitch a setting to you that then you have to pitch a movie back to me. Perfect. So the setting is the post office at closing. Go. All right. So man versus mild. Hmm. All right. Post office at closing. Uh, we've got a postal teller. Okay. Um, who realizes that they were in, oh, they were in the back room while the post office was closing. Nice. It is now closed, and they are locked inside. Nice. Um, the film will follow them um, starving <laughs> over eight hours, uh, in which they start opening everyone's packages and mail. Just eating the mail? and just eat, No, just, just like searching for food. Um, unnecessarily, they will go, they will do it castaway style and just start looking for items they can use, blankets, <laughs> stuff like that. And so in the morning, they are found having set up a fully functioning, like island style Robinson Crusoe <laughs> camp inside, inside, inside the postal office. For really no reason, because they're totally <laughs> fine to just be there for eight hours. This feels very much like a Key and Peele sketch. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And so that, one that I would love. So that's my movie. I like it. I like it a lot. Now pitch, pitch And we're going to call it Staying Postal. Nice. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to have to come up with titles for mine, too. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to give you uh, The Walk-In Cooler. At an O Charlie's restaurant. Okay, so this is this one kind of lends itself very well mm-hmm. to um, to a, a movie like this. But I'm going to give a little bit of a twist. Okay, so it's the first day for server Andrea mm-hmm. working at O Charlie's. Mm-hmm. She's working the closing shift, 
and she has been tasked with throwing out the food in the walk-in cooler because they had an issue with it, and all the food in there has spoiled. Mm-hmm. Every bit of it. Ooh, okay. They've got the cooler working again, but they have to get rid of all the food that's in there. Now, the thing about walk-in coolers is they lock from the outside. Right. So if you're inside, there's no way to get out. Now, in the newer ones, there's definitely a way to get out, but this was an old one because this O'Charlie's manager, played by John Malkovich, did not want to spend the money to upgrade the walk-in cooler. I love it. Now, Andrea is there at closing. She had more to clean out, and she wanted to make a good impression, so she stayed later than everybody else, and except for John Malkovich. But Andrea accidentally gets locked in this freezer. John Malkovich thinks that she has gone for the day, so he closes up shop and has closed down the O'Charlies for a long Labor Day weekend. They're oh, not going to be open for three days. What? So now Andrea is trapped in the walk-in freezer, which is on, filled with spoiled food. Oh, fuck. What does she do? So she is surrounded by food that she can't that eat. she cannot eat. It's kind of like Castaway, but water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Fuck. So the first part of the movie is basically her trying to uh, find some food that would be able to eat. I love when it. that doesn't work, she starts trying to break down the, the door with the frozen meat. So what she ends up doing is she uses part of her clothes. we got to get the TNA in there. She strips off part of her clothes to make a fire. And then she ends up accidentally setting the room on fire, which then sets off the smoke alarm, which then the fire department comes with John Malkovich to rescue her, only to find that she has died of smoke inhalation in the walk-in freezer. Fuck. Yeah. That's a that's a real perfect storm type ending. It is. It is. No survivors. And the next day is Free Pie Day, so everyone's happy. That's dark. <laughs> that's super dark. And, and uh, the title? Free Pie Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. I'm totally down with that. Can okay. We, can we get these movies made? Yeah, I think so. I, I think hope we so. can. Um, so yeah, there we go. That was our game. You're welcome. You're welcome. Everybody and Hollywood (laughs) and key and peel. (laughs) Right. We just gave you a bunch of grand ideas. Um, so for, uh, for all of those, uh, still listening to this episode, uh, we'd like to, of course, invite you to give us your top five lists, reach out to us on Twitter. We're at high, the number five, the podcast, or you can also reach out to us on Facebook at high five, the podcast. Uh, we are also on the Instagram. Feel free to comment and tag people on our photos. Or uh, you can just go straight to our website, which is highfivethepodcast.com, or email us any of your thoughts or your list. What we would love is if you email us your top five man versus wild lists at my five at highfivethepodcast.com. We'll read them out on the air. Yeah. Now, also, don't forget, if you want to ask us a question, you can use the hashtag on any channel, hashtag AskHighFive. And you can and ask we'll, us whatever you yeah, want. And you will answer your questions live on the air. On the air. On the air. On the air. And give you a shout out. And um, But then other than that, you know, everywhere that you listen to the show, please give us a review. It helps us know what people like, what people don't like, how we can evolve the show. Uh, we really want you involved, and we really want your your feedback. So those really help us, and we, we engage with everybody who reaches out to us. So um, thank you again for listening, and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, go five yourself. <laughs>